0: I think oftentimes they feel like my life is just an accident and a piece of trash. And so you treat it like a piece of trash. You don't care. You don't go to school. You don't exercise. You don't get up at that time in the morning. You don't look for healthy relationships. You live out of despair. And so you start to see on the page, even, even in the pain, there's a goodness. There's a shape. There's something in your life. Then it makes sense to want to polish it up.
1: Welcome friends, this is the Underground Writing Podcast for the week of May 6th, 2019. I'm Matt Mallion, Director of Underground Writing, a program offering creative writing workshops in at-risk community settings.
2: And I'm Alvin Shim, producer for the Underground Writing Podcast. On our bi-weekly podcast, we read and discuss a piece of writing by an underground writing student and briefly update listeners about what's happening in the program as a whole. Because we're a creative writing program serving at-risk populations, we do not mention students by name. We hope you enjoy this edition of the podcast.
1: Listeners, we work in places in which people have been speaking but not heard, thus resulting in voices forced underground. Today, we're going to hear from a student or a few students at our Skagit County Community Justice Center site. There are a few words from this conversation that we've decided to bleep. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. And today, folks, you're in for a treat. Chris Hoke is with us. Chris is one of Underground Writing's teaching writers. And just so you're in the loop, Chris's work extends far beyond the borders of Underground Writing. Chris is a gang pastor, prisoner reentry organizer, a writer, and the author of Wanted, a spiritual pursuit through jail, among outlaws, and across borders. He is also the founding director of Underground Ministries, a nonprofit working with prisoner reentry. Chris is a well loved teacher and a speaker. And lives with his family in Mount Vernon, Washington. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. So, Chris, why don't you talk about, give some context for the pieces that you brought with you, and then we'll give it a read, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a bit.
0: What uh, the, the piece I, was, I, was, I, I chose to bring in today is not in our, our, our first anthology, uh, what no one ever tells you, um, but it's something that came together in our very last workshop and w- with the men at the adult correctional facility um and i brought in a piece by rilke and this is a i, I try to bring in pieces that aren't just like well, well this would be good for the guys um but it, 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 i really only have curiosity or life to engage it if it's something that already resonates with me um so this is a poem i've i've had kind of typed up in different journals over the years um tucked away in drawers Typed up into and cut into small squares that I've tucked into uh, some letters to inmates I've written with with over the years. Folks who I think would enjoy reading a poem by Rainier Maria Rilke, and so it, this is from his book of hours, which is a long stream of kind of mystical poems where he speaks in the second person to the divine, in a way that um has resonated with with me as much as any of the kind of scriptures I'd read when I when I used to be a regular jail chaplain. Um, but normally I wouldn't be able to bring in a Rilke prayer for a Bible study. But to be in, in underground writing, to to it, this felt like a unique piece. Like I was kind of back in a chaplaincy role because we were talking about prayer, but we weren't doing prayer in the exact same way. You'll know what I mean when I read this piece. So I said, all right, if I just read Rilke's poem, and hopefully you listening are moved by this as well, and I recommend buying it online, Rilke's book of hours. One page says, I'm praying again, awesome one. You hear me again, as words from the depths of me rush toward you in the wind. I've been scattered in pieces, torn by conflict, mocked by laughter, washed down in drink. In alleyways, I sweep myself up out of garbage and broken glass. With my half mouth, I stammer you, who are eternal in your symmetry. I lift my half hands, in wordless beseeching that I may find, again, the eyes with which I once beheld you. I'm a house gutted by fire, where only the guilty sometimes sleep before the punishment that devours them hounds them out into the open. I'm a city by the sea, sinking into a toxic tide. I'm strange to myself, as though someone unknown had poisoned my mother as she carried me. It's here, in all the pieces of my shame, that now I find myself again. I yearn to belong to something, to be contained in an all-embracing mind that sees me as a single thing. I yearn to be held in the great hands of your heart. I'll let them take me now. Into them I place these fragments, my life. And you, God, spend them however you want. Instead of an amen, there's just kind of a, a quietness in some guys being like, mm. that's tight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's, there's a real resonance. I, some pieces, you know, I, I feel like a substitute teacher when I, I want to make sure, okay, let's kind of, you can kind of feel yourself wanting to gather the wandering intentions, but that really held guys in a way that pleased me. Um, and so there, there's a lot we could talk about, and I, wa- I, I talked a little bit about prayer being beyond the bounds of church and, and, and in poetry. This is being oftentimes the canon of poetry. I'll go back to, you know, Ovid or the Greeks is, is some effort to speak to the mystery. Um, and that um, there's ways to do that. That's not just asking this, 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 dear God, amen. Um, and we talked about metaphor. I am a house gutted by fire. And we talked a little bit about metaphor in a way that, This is what I love about being in the jail is that in a creative writing class, be like, let's talk about metaphors, just eyes roll. But suddenly, just talking about that concept, be like, who knows what a metaphor is? Eyes kind of wander around the desks. You're like, all right. So you stand up and you get the whiteboard thing, you're like, a metaphor. And like, what is a metaphor? And to just talking about in such simple terms with intelligent adults, but who don't know the, normally dropped out by sixth or seventh grade, these kind of words, to use an image instead of something else, to comparing one thing to another, and uh, you can transform yourself or anything into something else by trusting the emotional connections, and there's no rules. And so we had a fun conversation, and I want to read to you two different pieces that some men wrote, Uh, really encouraging them to say, I am Mm -hmm. a, just like a house gutter by fire. So inspired by real call, here's one gentleman. He wrote, I mean, given they're all in red scrubs, plastic slippers, their toes sticking out. Who knows what they're dealing with, but they're resonating with Rilke. He says, I am a ship wrecked on the shore, smashed to pieces to hopefully be salvaged someday. I pray to whoever will listen. I am a cold, dark night stealing the sun's warmth. I am the last ray of light leaving the night cold and empty. I am the warmth of the sun's first light the shining beam in a cold, thankless world. I am the first beam of light bringing warmth to a cold, thankless night. I am the want of your needs. I am the willing in a thankless world. I am not the dream, but the dreamer. I am the soft whisper of despair uttered by the weak. I and mean, that's a first draft, just, just scrawled on some lined paper from someone who's never written poetry before. So, that, I mean, yeah. that fires my jets. <laughs> yeah. How bold his, his uh, movement was, he wasn't trying to rationally be like, okay, I'm going to develop this extended analogy, just the way Rilke can moves around with different associations. He's the cold dark, cold dark night stealing the sun's warmth. And as he keeps moving down the page, he, he finds other parts of himself. That's the, the warmth of the sun's first light. Here's another one. This one is even more clarified on its first draft. So in this kind of quiet square of tables, well, that guy was scribbling one thing. This guy, in even worse legibility, it took me a while to transcribe. This man, with everything he's lived through, was scrawling this. I am an empty shell, abandoned by the hermit crab, laying forgotten, washed away with the tide, Once I had a purpose and meaning. Now I'm useless. I am a tire punctured by a nail, slowly deflating and losing my purpose as time passes. As the air compressor reinflates me, I gain usefulness once more. I am the jellyfish floating listfully with the current without much purpose or concern. I'm content to float by causing pain and damage with my tentacles should you get too close and something like that i don't recognize until i'm typing later you know there's there's kind of rush at the end and the guard comes in and we kind of all right who wants to maybe share submit this for underground writing and we, we we disperse collection you know permission forms and then you, you scuttle them up and then a guard says, you ready? And you, you gather everything and push the chairs in and then a week later you sit down and you kind of take the paper cliff off and start flipping through these loose leaf sheets. Very difficult to read handwriting. You start typing it up and then you look at it that are glowing on the screen.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. This This is some poetry. Yeah. It's it's powerful stuff. I, I've had that that same experience going home and not knowing what's there and... um. The what is the is that Rilke poem numbered or anything or it just appears in the it's somewhere in the yeah in the okay. whole book of hours I don't think th- I don't think they have numbers
0: normally the title is just in German okay in the, yeah it's this, beautiful this one is I'm praying again
1: yeah I don't know what to say I, the po- the poems are so powerful like I, I'm not sure um, when you. Now, did either of these students? Did either of these students share this? And because cl- in in the workshop setting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have that time for like you can, you can share what you've written by summarizing or reading what you wrote, or yeah, did, do you um, recall them reading it.
0: Did Morosa? Yeah, I think the first one. I'm a ship wrecked on the shore, and I think I riffed on that a little bit, a bit on the whiteboard, but the um, the the, the second one, the empty shell abandoned by the hermit crab the tired puncture by the nail the, especially that last one the jellyfish um that one was just a surprise that showed up in the stack lots of times we're like whether whether it's one that you read you know one we'll invites someone we we'll really appreciate that one if you want to submit that one anyone yeah. else who didn't read but want to submit something and that's where some of the goodies really show up because um, the folks that want to share are not always the folks that want to speak up yeah yeah because a lot of a lot of writers aren't always the the chatty types but, uh, yeah, yeah, that image um, I've, I, has been haunting me. I, d- I didn't read it at the um, at the book reading at the, our uh, local library just because I feel like there's a temptation sometimes in this work to just lift up the inspirational pieces that show um, hope, mm-hmm. tenderness. Transformation. Transformation. And I'm all about that. And so I and I don't want to perpetuate negative stereotypes of the folks that are in jail, but I trusted on this podcast, there's going to be a larger kind of like array of of beautiful pieces, but that piece, there's an honesty in that last piece about the, the, the jellyfish as I've just worked for so many years, seeing guys on the streets, in jail on the streets, whether in the kind of like active drug dealing or gang sense, or just folks that you see in a blur of just homelessness. You're like, oh, that person was so sharp, and I never would have known they were homeless when I met them in jail. Yeah, They had a haircut and had the same red scrubs as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person's not a lifetime criminal. That person's just homeless. Um, and you see them kind of in a blur, standing outside a grocery store or shuffling down the sidewalk. I'm the jellyfish floating listfully with the current without much purpose or concern. I'm content to float by causing pain and damage with my tentacles should you get too close i, I i've just never read anything in <laughs> my, my poetry reading that nails the the beauty the floatingness and the danger of that kind of a lifestyle yeah. and for the, for you know what i mean a j- jellyfish yeah. is, is is gorgeous and it's and, and it's dangerous like you um causing pain and damage with my tentacles for this person to be in touch that they've caused pain a lot of folks have realized in the jail I won't really ad- admit to hurting others there's a lot of victim narratives yeah. which I've really supported in my kind of my point of view for the first 10 or 12 years of my work but I've come to a point now of really realizing how how much courage and unique transformation is happening when someone can say I'm aware that I've hurt people I think for any of us as human beings it's hard but so when that kind of the the, the courage of self awareness and repentance shows up in art, it, it's a, it gets me.
1: Yeah, I think that that image of the jellyfish floating along there's a there's a passivity there, being mm-hmm. being swept along with the the current mm-hmm. flow of the water, and it's hard to tell by just what's on the page there if the tentacles wounding others, if that's a if that was an act of choice or if people just got in the way, happened to get wrapped up in the tentacles briefly Mm -hmm. and were hurt. Mm -hmm. And and it's probably a mixture of both, but it's interesting. It's an interesting image because I I think at the start of that image, there's that, I don't know what he said, listless or something floating in the, Mm -hmm. in the water, which to me is this very like, I'm allowing myself to be carried along. Mm hmm. And then there's that image of the, the tentacles wounding, but there's not an indication of if, if that's a proactive wounding on the person's part or someone just got happened to be, get in the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of, of, of art, right? Like, that he's chosen this image that says so much. And, and rather than a, like limiting this person's life or like moralizing, here's right, here's wrong. Yeah, there's so much there. Like a, a jellyfish, once we're in the realm of nature, we're not in the realm of morals anymore, right? We're not in the realm of law. Like, if a jellyfish zaps somebody, is it being a jerk? Like, it's just part of the world of survival um, in the way that it kind of invites an ecological read on the streets and just a basic survival read on a lot of, I don't know, it Just it just, it, it opens up my awe and my questions more than it gives me like a, a sociological explanation or an activist like okay i can use this poem because this helps plead the the pain of the people that i want to stand up for and advocate for and change the system mm. or here's an example of a heart changing which supports my spiritual agenda like it's none of those things it it, it mm. opens a sense of respect and questions and a, a great curiosity and love inside me when i hear something like that mm. which is why i as busy as i am i often am like man i I don't know if I can keep going and also being involved with underground writing workshops. And then I go and stuff like this happens. Like, ah, I need this. Hmm. Uh, Even if it's once a month, I need this. This just kind of like eases off all the hard categories of the activist and the pastor and gets back to why I loved literature growing up. Why I still need it. Why I still need to be reading poems and doing small creative writing prompts. And, th- and to do that in community with the very people that I love serving and getting to know, from the underground, it's it's a real gift. Mm.
3: Mm. It's funny that you bring up the idea of the law, the the quasi law of the jungle, and the the removal of autonomy. That in trying to remove the author of this piece and just looking at the piece, like a tiger actively tries to hunt and take down another animal because that's what a tiger does. But the jellyfish floats around. It doesn't have any movement of its own volition. If you get in the way of a jellyfish, you happen to get stung because it's just the physical capability of what it is. Hmm. But the jellyfish doesn't, by instinct or by choice, doesn't try to do anything. So an individual removing, first recognizing how much damage they do cause, actively cause, by people that come across their path and also removing themselves from their human autonomy is maybe the most frightening piece we've read on the podcast potentially I think so yeah I mean I
0: don't I I don't see him in a sociopathological way like saying I have no autonomy
3: right um but um and I'm inserting my fourth grade biology knowledge of the jellyfish so (laughs) (laughs) disclaimer yeah, but I,
0: I just think like with the the empty shell abandoned by the hermit crab, the tire punctured by a nail. Just just naming that that feel that, that 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 existential condition of. I mean, I think all of us can relate at some moment in our life to that feeling of just feeling like completely emptied and like kind of hollow and and no longer rooted or energized with a purpose and just kind of hurting and and, and billowing along. Um, And then especially those who have like hit such hopelessness and suffering that have just kind of given up and are just like tumbleweeds on the streets or but but tumbleweeds is cliche jellyfish is much better. Mm -hmm. He came up with I'm content to float by floating listlessly with the current and we're thinking about this every time I see jellyfish and every time I see people along the streets.
1: Yeah, I think that that happens to me too. I mean, that's that's what happens with literature. One of the things that happens with literature is just it changes the way we see things, Mm -hmm. the way we see life, the way we interpret life. And I think writing that comes out of our workshops has also done that for me. Like one of the poems in the book, I Sing America in Hospital Beds, Mm -hmm. which deals with epilepsy. Well, that subject has forever been changed for me And again, we've discussed this on the podcast, not a lot of poems that I could recall being written about that subject. So that's one thing. But also just any time that subject comes up, I will think of that poem. And I think like what you're saying, that this image, such a beautiful, haunting, nuanced, realistic image of this fish, using it metaphorically for how we exist in life, how we often cause pain, whether we meant to or not, sticks with you. And it came through intuition, right? That's what I like about these workshops mm-hmm. is that we're not
0: sending people home with a homework assignment where they're spending a lot of time trying mm-hmm. to be clever. Mm-hmm. But like, here's a prompt. We'll take five to 10 minutes, go. Uh, and, and to see that emerge just intuitively. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I think about like all the imageries that's just in our subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's really interesting to me. And what inspires me in my own uh, frustration with my own writing life, is I, I do the opposite. I spend way too much time overthinking stuff, and I get really mm-hmm. stuck on lar- larger yeah. pieces that, that I'm, these masterworks and larger books I'm outlining, but I'm not writing them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So then to get me into a space where there's a prompt, I open up a page and I start writing as well. Like, at the end of our formats, I mean, I don't know if in earlier episodes you guys have talked about the structure, but, you know, we begin with a brain spill, just just write, get out of your head, whatever's in your head, clear the pipes. Uh, but at the end, we try to invite people to have a brain fill, like, what are you taking away from this? What's one thing you learned? And I learned from you to say, not that I t- said to you, not that you got from me, the facilitator, not that you even got from the readings, but something that you learned through your own act of writing. And some of the things I say are really great, but every time... My brain fill is almost exactly the same. I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, just sit down and write, Chris, mm-hmm. and cool stuff comes out. <laughs> um, so that's a way where I see great stuff come from these folks that inspires me to just, just sit down and write. Mm-hmm. This jellyfish came out of this guy in five minutes, and he's between plea deals. And and I and I, I have a master of fine arts yeah, in writing, and I get really stuck. Like just just yeah. sit down and write, man. Yeah, you're in, you're 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 unconscious will provide all sorts of jewels. Which is also how I understand creative writing in the best way. That it's not, I have an idea and now I'm going to sit down to communicate it. That like a poet we both really love and respect teaches on this a lot. That that it's not discursive writing. That here is an idea, here's an ideology. But that when we sit down in the writing, something happens that's not a, a preconceived thing we wanted to package and deliver. And so we are in we are as surprised as the, the next readers who read what, what, what comes out. And I think that's when the best stuff happens with writing.
1: Yeah. Am yeah, I making sense? I, yeah, and I think I think in the workshops, what I find so refreshing is that most of these, I mean, once in a while you've, you get a sense that maybe someone's had higher education, quote unquote, but like most of these folks have not. Um, and some of our other sites outside settings of incarceration are uh, people that are younger, so they're not that far along. All of the sites and all of the writing that comes out of it, therefore, is not informed by academic theory, mm-hmm. or like you said, an assignment where they're coming back and trying to impress. It's it's offhand, it's raw, it's immediate, and it's a little different because I'm facilitating. When you're facilitating, as you know, when you're when you're leading a workshop, it's hard to do. We do writing with the students. We do all the prompts with the students. However, my writing is very very poor (laughs) in this situation usually because I'm worried about, okay, okay, how much time is left? What's next? What's the feel in the room? Is it going okay? You know, all these things. But I find, I find their writing, the students writing very challenging to me, like, and very often like, wow, I wish I, I wish I had come up with that. That's, that's beautiful. Like, like for example, the jellyfish um, image. Um, And so I've, I find encouragement in the students writing and also challenge in a good way. And also just, just appreciation for their, uh, what are often um, quick minds. I mean, my, my wife was reading, uh, I think within the last year, she shared with me some news article, and I, I will get the exact stat. I won't even try for the exact stat. But in, in settings of incarceration, the number of ev- individuals who are gifted, quote-unquote gifted, in settings of incarceration, is so much higher than the general population by percentage. Be curious how they get how that d- kind of data. How do they quantify that? I yeah. don't know that. I don't know that. So maybe that's all hearsay. But she, <laughs> she, she was reading an <laughs> article. Jenny. She looked up from it and you know said this to me. And I just, what I guess what I first thought of when she said that to me was that explains why often in these settings the students often just seem so bright and they've had, they've had stuff cleared away. Like they're, they're, they're detoxed. Like you said, they've, you know, they've cleaned up. They've ha- not that their physical appearance necessarily makes them better writers or better thinkers, but every th- it's a time, it's a reprieve from all the layers of stuff they've put on themselves or had put on them. It's a time away from that to clear away some stuff and they really, they have that moment to be quiet and to reflect in a new way. Like I was in the workshop just yesterday in the jail and um, there's a guy in there who, first thing we write, the brain spill, He at the end of it, he thanks everyone in the room, I think is who he was thanking for, even though we just met, and it may have been more his like pod mates, but like even though we just met, thank you for your impact in my life and thank you for this space to reflect and write and that's that's within the first five minutes so and and then he went on to say like even even in the pods we can just we uh, kind of team up and we distract each other there's really no quiet time and they said there's no quiet t- certainly no quiet time like this you know in, in the workshop and so just having that that space um and getting back to what I was saying, I just, I think, I think there are a lot of people that are just super intelligent that we encounter that have had things thrust on them, or they've made bad decisions, or usually a combination of all that, that have obscured that reality, maybe even to themselves, you know? Yeah, I mean, it
0: reminds me of something I, I realized with with some of the youth in juvenile detention in the first year, um, that I should probably reflect on or, or try to share more often, which is in, in the, the strange alchemy of literature, the worst things in life become gold. When you think about good poetry, good fiction, you know, good memoirs, like the, the real, the grime, the pain, the horror, the dramatic event which ruptures and throws the good life we want on its head. Like in normal life, that stuff is a nightmare. But in literature... That's what uh, oftentimes privileged students are trying to like you know in the '60s go live chaotic drug fueled lives because they're trying to have some extreme experience that lays bare the bone of the human existence right so that they have something to write about that to, 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 to so to say these youth like look in this alchemy of literature the very stuff which you're most ashamed of is gold write about it and so I think it's a really empowering. Kind of chemistry, right? To to see that as we read good literature, that the 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 alienation, the hurt, the the grief, the the wild kind of secrets of their life really have shape on the page, and they have something to say. I don't know if that makes sense. Like there's 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 a real asset and a a proximity to the heart of literature that these folks have that unless exposed to literature, they wouldn't see any value. It's just, I just feel like I'm a go.
3: Is there ever a conversation where you will relay such information and the individual says, I don't really care about that. My son has cancer and my daughter won't talk to me. Or whatever it is that that gives them literary prowess. Uh,
0: Maybe if I gave like a big keynote (laughs) on on this topic. Someone in the audience would come up and push back and say that. But just in those small conversations with youth who are already being burdened, they already know the pain that they have. They know I'm not trying to romanticize it, but inviting them to be like, look, look, that experience, like when you wrote about it, that's good. I I I would love to share that with other people. That communicates something important that resonates with me. Look, it's not just you, what we just read in Sharon Olds. Hmm. Had that same experience, and people love reading Sharon Olds because we have we, a lot of people have that kind of stuff, and she had the courage to put it on page.
1: And it's and it's not only not only can they see that it's it can make good literature, but that the writing down of it and the sharing of the story of it, mm-hmm. whether in poem or prose, that is a transformative experience in the in itself. So not only do they have the possibility of writing down an interesting story that they've lived through and maybe thought wasn't great? Mm-hmm. But the act of doing it mm-hmm. is, could be a way for them to, find them to find their way home, as it were.
0: Yeah, you yeah, know? which like, reminds me, maybe this is a good res- further response to, to, to your question, Alvin, is I think one of the guards had a similar question when I'd said something like that a few years ago. Or I think he said something Yeah, I, I like this program. It, it it helps it helps the kids uh think about their lives in new ways. Mm-hmm. Just said something kind of really general like that. But it, it just, just got me thinking like Yeah, that it, it helps them once you start seeing there's something worth looking at in your life, even your darkest stuff. Yeah. There's some shape of a life there. It's not just an embarrassing piece of trash that we need to bury in a social dumpster. That there's a shape of the human story there that's worth paying attention to. Now, in the very act of revision, I want to clarify that. I want to improve that, that story or that poem. There's an attention of, like, I want to, as a teenager, as someone in jail, start looking at my life and revising my life. What is my story? How can I now revise where I'm going in the next few months, the next few years? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, you only revise a poem that, that's kind of good, even if it's raw, right? And I think kids only are going to work on their life Mm-hmm. if there's even a life worth look, worth working on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think oftentimes they feel like my life is just an accident and a piece of trash. And so you treat it like a piece of trash. You don't care. You don't go to school. You don't exercise. You don't get up at that time in the morning. You don't look for healthy relationships. You live out of despair. And so you start to see on the page, even even in the pain, there's a goodness. There's a shape. There's something in your life. Then it makes sense to want to polish it up. Or like an image I'd use because now we can use metaphor all the time is mm-hmm. like, uh, especially with some of the young gang members who really idolize like uh, lowrider cars, and you don't a few people buy a nice lowrider car. They find some piece mm-hmm. of junk that like their uncle has, but it's got potential, right? It's up on cinder blocks, but that that could be a really sweet Lolo <laughs> if you start you start putting new you put some new rims on it, you start polishing it, you put a new coat on it, um, you put some new fuzzy dice. That once they start to see. <laughs> In their, their lives, maybe they're a little broken down, but they're a, they're a classic. They're an, an original model, mm-hmm. and they're just a little busted down right now. They can start bringing that same creative care to kind of like upgrading and polishing, or I want to get my GED. I want to get some new rims. I want to get an associates. I want to get some healthy people in my life. You only put that work in and loving a car back to new life if you see its potential. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you, you got to see even through the, the rough and tumble something beautiful. And the I current think, decay. Yeah, that they're an original model and that they can see in some of these poems. There's something about
3: me, even, even, with, even with the scars. Can you read that first piece again? I want to I dwell in the, in, the transfer, in the metaphysicality of it.
0: <laughs> Rilke or the two responses? The, the first of the two responses. I am a ship wrecked on the shore, smashed to pieces to hopefully be salvaged someday hmm, that kind of speaks right to what we're talking about <laughs> instead of the low, low i pray to whoever will listen and talk about theology <laughs> what's your theology i pray to whoever will listen it makes me want to cry i'm a cold dark night stealing the sun's warmth i'm the last ray of light leaving the night cold and empty i am the warmth of the sun's first light, the shining beam in a cold, thankless world. I am the first beam of light bringing warmth to a cold, thankless night. I am the want of your needs. I am the willing in a thankless world. I am not the dream, but the dreamer. I am the soft whisper of despair uttered by the weak. If I saw that in, in Rilke's Book of Hours, with like the German next to it, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be like, "Oh, maybe not the strongest one, but I could see Rilke writing that."
1: I agree. In what ways have you seen students affected by uh, the either either their own writing or the writing we we bring in, the literature we bring in? That's why I
0: appreciate. The writing is, because it's really hard to read faces, especially with the youth, especially when real things are going on. Kids that have been not in safe environments over the years, oftentimes, if something real is happening, that's the very time where they go into kind of shut-down mode and kind of a very stone face is on. But then getting to read later on what what the kids are writing. I see kids having fun, like writing about their skateboards, In a way, like reading Aldo Leopold about cutting good oak and just focusing on an, an object in their life that they're deeply familiar with and how that object... You know, Leo, Aldo Leopold has a famous essay about when he's sawing through a good oak and then as he saws through the different layers, that's the structure for the essay about the different years going back in time into the core of the wood on that land. and But he uses the device of the wood that he's sawing through. And so seeing a kid discover by reading it you know his his love of his skateboard and all the dents and the scrapes in it and the things the, the, the frustrations and the hurts in his life and that he's thrown it down both from frustrated kickflips that he couldn't land but you know there's a whole lot more behind the heft throwing that sk- that skateboard on the ground and carrying it with him when that's his only transportation so i think seeing them kind of discover mm. they never would have thought how much meaning in their life is layered into their skateboard until reading uh, and being in dialogue, or like I like how you've said, you know, putting putting folks in a call and response with li- great literature. It's not just, hey, we're just going to do a prompt, start talking, let's do an I am poem. But being, we're going to have you be in call and response with Rilke, with Dante, with Emily Dickinson. So yeah, at least seeing them have those experiences. There's a poem in the book uh, um, that a, a girl wrote in response to Martina Spada's poems. Mm about her having a memory suddenly about her father. We did a whole cycle based on these, these father poems with Martina Spada. Just a really simple memory of fishing mm. on, on the Skagit yeah. River yeah. and the little tinkle on the bell and her father coming around her and grabbing it. And then she just says something like, the, the parent bear teaching the young bear to feed, him, feed itself because he'd soon be gone. And it was like a really simple line, and you realize, oh, wow, that this, this girl has just told a story. Real, looking back, that it's not just a fun memory of Dad Teach Me to Fish, but that Dad's no longer in her life. And to have these quick reflections that give a whole lot of tragedy and gravitas and meaning to their stories. You see, yeah, you see it in the writing later on, not the kids just kind of saying right there, hey, this is really helping me, this or that. I mean, kids say that, but the, the deeper testament is in the writing. Okay, after reading Martina Spadas Tiburon, which is shark, uh, this young lady in juvenile detention writes, "Watching the pole ring and tug, my dad stands above me, guiding me to reel in a fish, like a bear guiding his cub to one day be on their own." So short. But for me, that's 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 a big answer to what, what they're ta- what they're taking away is, she's getting an aha right there. I see an aha in that line. That that was just a memory then, but I'm I'm on my own now. Hmm. Kids don't get locked up in juvie when they're being nurtured well. Yeah. She's thinking survival questions. She's entering a big, mean machine. And has already been on the kind of the jungle of the streets
1: to even get there so the title of the poem she called it survival again being in the workshops many many times over three and a half years how do you feel like and this might be hard to quantify too but how do you how have the has doing that changed you
0: i think it's kept me in a place of respect for mystery I mean, sometimes I'm asked that question where I'm, I'm like the chaplain who's also done an MFA, where I'll speak sometimes, be like, what, how did writing, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about like needing to write ministry updates, where whether it's, whether it's religious ministry or just like nonprofit organizing, you don't want to tell good stories. People's lives are improving. It's a linear trajectory from crappiness to betterness. And that's great, that's what we have our nonprofits for, we wanna improve people's lives, but there's a flatness to that narrative. Someone's life gets better, here's how it happened. As opposed to when I started, when I turned from Divinity School to get an MFA is when I was up late writing, obsessed with this memory of this guy who hung himself in the Skagit County Jail and wanted a pastor visit and I'm sitting in a suicide cell with him in his Velcro suit and he's ecstatic and happy and says he, he didn't need like prayer or consolation. He's just so happy he wanted to thank me, and he wanted someone that he remembered that I played guitar for the churches he wanted someone to sing with because um, when he threw himself off the balcony of the upper tier with a sheet, bed sheet wrapped around the, the steel post in his neck, when he hit bottom, somehow he didn't get hurt. He didn't snap his neck, but actually his chronic back pain rippled into sudden alignment, and he never felt better. His spine felt better, and existentially he kind of passed through death. And that was not something that you can tell, okay, here's a great thing that happened. Um, But it, it just troubled me. It was really confusing to me. And so I started imagining his body moving out like a Chinese acrobat in slow motion through this jail tier. And suddenly I had left theology, I had left the ministry update, and I was in the realm of a creative essay. And uh, there was a total mystery. What
2: the hell happened? Yeah, I'm not sure we can publish that. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's not real.
0: And, uh, and, and that's still, that was the last piece in my book, the last es- essay I was still working on. I didn't know how to make meaning in a way that wrapped up the essay. I still don't know. And that guy then went on. After we sang together, There's this beautiful story. I tried to bring in Dostoevsky, uh, Wendell Berry, uh, the Gospel of John, trying to add all these kind of literary meanings. And then I checked back in, and I heard where he was. He was deported the night after I met with him and got involved in a drug cartel in Tijuana and uh, was on the news because he killed 14 people. I don't know what to make of that story. The same way literature gives me a realm to just respect mystery in some of these lives that don't have a simple narrative, to come back into juvie and not just be a pastor that wants to help their spiritual involvement in a way that I think all people in spiritual professions in nonprofit professions, we can all get flattened. Okay, here's another person. We want to help them get their driver's license. We want to help them get their GED. We want to help them get into school. And then just seeing what they write in the poems opens them up as an entire mystery, who they are as a person and their life. We're not trying to fix them or move them forward on our nonprofit's trajectory, but just seeing a glimpse of the, the whole universe of who this person is, it's good for me. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that's transformed me, but I need to be retransformed at least once a month back into that place of mystery. Just awe for the, who the person is.
1: What's been going on in the world of underground writing? The main update we want to tell you about is just, uh, we've mentioned it before, I believe, a few times, but one of our sites is with the Migrant Leaders Club uh, here in the Mount Vernon School District. Uh, One of our primary collaborative projects has been the creation of new writing at the site. Those uh, writings are about to find their home in a new book, which will be a follow-up to the anthology Dream Fields, A Peek into the World of Migrant Youth. That was released in 2012 by the club. So the new book will be new writings, uh, a new anthology of the writings from the club and the students there. The foreword to the new book is being written by two-time U.S. Poet Laureate Juan Felipe Herrera. And we are currently on track with finalization at this point, And the book is scheduled for release in early June 2019. Here's an excerpt from that book.
4: I remember when I was younger, I never understood why they weren't encouraging me to try my best in school. Until I got older, I realized the reason they never put any effort was because they didn't know how to. I don't blame my parents for any of this whatsoever, because they honestly didn't know anything about school. All they knew was work. Because of their lack of reaction to anything school related, I began to think maybe I would just finish high school and somehow find a job that required no further education. For the longest time, I genuinely thought I was not going to college. Then I started thinking, am I really going to limit myself from accomplishing greater things? I finally concluded that I'm not stopping at high school. I'll get a master's in a major I'm passionate about. I'm still not going to stop after that. I will continue to learn more with or without the support of others. For my parents, my high school diploma was, would be enough, but not for me. You can make a difference but you have to make some noise. we have to stay together. United, together we're fighting.
1: This episode is being released on May 6th, 2019. Keep in mind that you can subscribe to our podcast and have it delivered directly to you via your preferred podcast outlet. Listeners, if you have a moment to spare. We'd be
2: grateful if you'd email us some feedback to podcast at undergroundwriting.org and or give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Today's featured writing included two new pieces from our site at the Skagit County Community Justice Center. You can find more writings from this site as well as our four other sites in What No One Ever Tells You, Underground Writing's first anthology of student writing. We'll have another episode for
2: you in a couple of weeks. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Send feedback to our email address, podcast at undergroundwriting.org. Connect with us via our website, undergroundwriting.org. And spread the word about our work by mentioning us on social media.
1: The Underground Writing Podcast is recorded and produced by Alvin Shim and Underground Writing. You can access it via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other podcast outlets, as well as on our website, where we include links of interest connected to items mentioned in each episode.
2: The introductory music for this podcast is Cool Number Two by Walt Hampton, as performed by the LaVenture Middle School Marimba Band here in Mount Vernon, Washington. The music you hear at the conclusion of each episode is provided by Luis Lopez and the Migrant Leaders Club in the Mount Vernon School District. I'm Alvin Shim.
1: And I'm Matt Mallion. Thanks for listening.